This podcast is brought to you by Brunner Communications, your best resource for public speaking, presentation, and storytelling skills. Visit lizbrunner.com and take your skills to the next level. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Live Your Best Life with Liz Bruner. I'm Liz, and my goal with each episode is to share stories of people who are recreating their lives or rising above challenges to write their next chapters with authenticity. These stories give me the courage to go after living my best life, and I think they will do that for you, too. If you like this episode, please leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to the show so this podcast can continue to inspire next chapters all over the world. If you were told you lack gravitas, how would you respond? When my guest got that feedback in her first review as a business consultant in a global management consulting firm, it sent her on a two decades quest to uncover what it means to have gravitas, to be truly confident and know your own value. No longer a burned out consultant, today Lisa Sun is a noted fashion entrepreneur, founder of the lifestyle brand Gravitas, and now the author of Gravitas, the eight strengths that redefine confidence. Lisa Sun, welcome to my podcast today. Thank you so much for having me, Liz. And congratulations on your first book, which hits the market today. Bravo. How does it feel to have your book out into the world? I will say it is a combination of enthusiasm. I'm incredibly excited, but there's so much anxiety about putting yourself in paper form, right? In written form and having the world, hopefully the world feel like I've made a difference. I wasn't sure I would ever write a book to be open with you. And there are so many books about confidence on the market. Why do we need another one? And when I really dug deep and answered that question, I said, okay, then that's worth four years of my life to go in, on that journey. Well, I'm grateful that I had a chance to read an early copy. Share with us why it's so important that confidence be redefined and how do we go about doing that, Lisa? Up until this point, so much of being told you need to be more confident is really performative. And it's been one note. So I I will be open with you. When I was 12 years old, I got a copy of Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence Others. It changed my life. As an Asian woman, as the only Asian family in a tiny desert town in California, I didn't know how to operate in Western society. So shaking hands, smiling, being interested, remembering other people's names, those are all important qualities. But oftentimes when we are told to be more confident, we're said, oh, puff up your chest, speak up, stand on a stage. What I wanted to do is reset that idea. Uh, In 2013, Janet Yellen was nominated to be the first head of the Federal Reserve as a woman. And there were hundreds of articles about how she didn't have the gravitas to lead the Fed. And Ezra Klein at the Washington Post called out all those naysayers. He said, look, the pervasive view of gravitas doesn't stretch to include her. She's soft-spoken, she's passive, she's collaborative, but she's the most qualified person for this job. Why isn't that gravitas too? For me, I wanted to redefine confidence not as a performative behavior, but as a choice, a mindset. And I wanted to double click on that through quantitative research and identify eight other types of confidence because we don't all have to fit into that stereotype of swagger and extroversion and charisma to feel good about ourselves. You talk about those eight strengths in your book. Number one, leading, performing, achieving, giving knowing, creating, 
believing, and self-sustaining. And I'm going to leave it up to the reader to learn more about each of those when they read your book. But collectively, these eight strengths you call are a person's superpower or confidence language. How does knowing and understanding that confidence language either help us become more confident and successful or possibly hurt us? And I love that you just named the eight because most books on confidence are written about leading and performing. Those are the most visible ones. And yet what's interesting is most women test more highly on achieving, giving, knowing, and believing. As my mom likes to say, when tsunami happened, men make speech, women clean up the beach. Which one more valuable? I love your mom. <laughs> and I want to give credit to all those other ways in which we can feel good about ourselves. Your confidence language is the source of your self-belief. Every time you ask a five-year-old what they're the best at in the world, they'll tell you right away. I'm the best at soccer. I'm the best at hugs. I'm the best at everything. You ask an adult that question and they really struggle creating a quiz and a, and a way in which you can discover your superpowers, just taking the quiz is empowering. I've had so many women take it and they'll say, oh my gosh, I have five superpowers. I didn't know I was this powerful. Thank you for that vocabulary to describe what I bring to the table. And by the way, it doesn't have to be my bosses or the person I work with. So many times we're told to be more confident and we don't know what it means. Exactly. Which of these eight do you want me to be? Do you want me to be more performing, more assertive and outspoken? Great. Thank you for defining that for me. But this language that we've created, this vocabulary, once you take the quiz, you can't unsee it. My mom took it, by the way. She has all eight. She's like, I take your quiz. I have all eight. And by the way, older women and more senior executives tend to have four or more. And she goes, this is why I'm so powerful. I do everything. I can do all eight. I only have four of them, by the way, <laughs> as my superpowers. Just knowing what makes you you that's what an unbreakable belief in yourself is. I, I don't buy into fake it until you make it because I think you have to be unshakable, unbreakable. You can't do that until you know what makes you uniquely you. And that's what a confidence language is. And I do love that quiz. Your superpower quiz has 56 questions <laughs> that everyone can take. And it really forces you to do some serious self-analysis and you, you mentioned this briefly a moment ago. What I found interesting is that the most prevalent one is giving. You mentioned it a moment ago. It's one of the top three, but giving is at the very top. Why is that? Well, I think as women, we naturally are nurturers. We seek to collaborate and cooperate. And if you look at the McKinsey Women in the Workplace study from 2021, they said women are the reasons why companies made it through the pandemic. The very attributes of female leadership, compassion, collaboration, nurturing, will not be fairly evaluated in HR scorecards. And we see that time and time again. Uh, Kelly Shue at Yale did another study where she looked at 30,000 employee records, and she found that women scored the highest on performance, but the lowest on management potential. And the reverse was true for men. And it was because what was being used as management potential as the criteria was charisma. It wasn't about giving, achieving, knowing. It didn't surprise me when we saw the results, but it also reinforced this idea of we've got to expand the scorecard of what we define as confidence. Growing up, you suggest that one of your early superpowers was performing. You say you have four today, which is great. But early on, you say in your book that performing was one of them. And despite feeling like an outsider, as a daughter of Taiwanese immigrants and growing up in the middle of the Southern California desert, at 10 years old, you were fearless, you were curious, 
believing that you were going to be on track to be the first female Asian chief justice of the Supreme Court and or maybe president of the United States. There's still time for that, Lisa. Where did that little girl's confidence come from and when did it leave you? I would say I have incredible parents. If you think about leaving your home in Kaohsiung, Taiwan, and going to a place where you didn't know anyone college educated, working on a hamburger truck and a loading dock, and then starting their own small businesses. I work there every summer, Mongolian barbecue, four ninety five at lunch, twelve ninety five at dinner, all you can eat. When you see what it takes to create something from nothing, that gives you an innate sense of possibility. And performing as one of the eight qualities is not very correlated with Asian culture, self-effacing, humble, high achieving, usually. So I'm an anomaly in my own culture, and I'll tell you why I developed it. When I was 12 years old, I had skipped two grades. I was a freshman in high school at 12 years old. My father realized he could not afford an Ivy League education. As much as they wanted me to have that education, they couldn't afford it. And so he went around town, my tiny town, Fontana, California, and asked, how do I get money for my kid? And there were these speaking competitions sponsored by the Rotary Club, the Lions Club, uh, Toastmasters. And he enrolled me in Toastmasters Tuesday mornings at the Sizzler <laughs> at 7 a.m. And you're 12 years old, right? <laughs> and that's when I got, by the way, How to Win Friends and Influence Others. They give you a copy of it when you join Toastmasters. And my dad wanted to be a better public speaker, and I became a public speaker. I paid for a portion of my Yale education, winning $5,000, $10,000. I remember my mom and I got to go to Vegas for the nationals of the Rotary Club. And I didn't come in first. It's okay. I'm fine with that. My tiger mom was not fine with that. But <laughs> I won a $5,000 check, right? And that was real money in 1995, 1996. So I'm quite lucky that I have parents that really supported this idea of vision and possibility and potential. One of the pieces of research that you share in the book, which I think is so important, is this, that from age 10 to 12, girls' self-esteem plummets, and our culture is dismissive about it. What do we need to do to change that, Lisa? I started to lose that sense of potential right when I was also learning my performing skills, and that's because I've never been a classic body type. I mean, we're obliterating the idea of body types now. I always tied my self-worth to my weight, and as a result, I remember being at the swimming pool one day, and someone said, that girl's chubby. And I had never heard that word before. I'm like, what's chubby? But if you think about between 10 and 12, right, most people are in middle school. They are expanding their social circles. They're feeling judged. They're feeling self-conscious. There's a trigger. And in my book, I talk about the six forces that hold us back. That's when all those forces start to come into our lives because it's not just the cocoon of your family, your small class size. You're now in a much wider world. And it's so easy these days with social media to trigger all those deficit mindsets when you're comparing yourself to others. I'm really excited because folks like Sheryl Sandberg, I just saw she's partnering with the Girl Scouts to try and teach self-esteem much earlier, as young as age nine. And I think what needs to happen is we need to start to have a vocabulary for people to feel seen. And I'll give you a great example. Someone read my book and she said, wow, I've always said my daughter is shy. I can't believe I've done that to her. She's high on knowing. She reads every single book. She's high on achieving. She's high on giving. Why am I asking her to be high on performing at the same time? Why can't I validate that she often is the most well-read kid in the room? And I'm going to stop calling her shy. 
So when they would interact with other friend groups, she's like, oh, my daughter's shy. She's not going to talk to you. Because why do I explain to her that? Why don't I just say, wow, she's read three books in the last month. I'm so proud of her. So if she's in the corner reading a book, totally support that. That's her natural gift. And I think when we change that language, society has defined one way for us to behave. And yet we need to celebrate all these other ways in which girls can develop. I am curious about when that sort of self-confidence left you from the standpoint of what you just shared with us a moment ago, which was here you are doing this Toastmasters, you're getting all these scholarships, and you would think that that would give you confidence, that would give you encouragement to say, yes, I'm pretty awesome. But somewhere along the way, it left you. Why do you think that happened if all this positivity was coming into your life and it still left you for a period of time? One of the six forces that hold us back from confidence is called satisfaction conundrum, where we tie our self-worth to an external marker of success. I'll be happy when I lose 10 pounds. I'll feel seen if I win this trophy. And what it also does on the flip side is if you don't get that, if you, you know, does that make you feel worse about yourself? This is the perfectionist peril. I'm never good enough unless I'm perfect or I've won. You can be as successful as you want on performing but still feel insecure because you haven't solved that fundamental issue of, wow, I'm very valuable. I bring a lot to this table. Even if I don't win, I feel good about who I am. And I think those two can coexist. And my book is trying to say, you know what? They only coexist if you can pay yourself a compliment. And I don't think I did that, right? Without external validation, it was very hard at a young age to say, wow, I didn't win or I'm not the thinnest or prettiest girl in the room, but I like myself. I bring these other qualities to the table. I was just curious because it did come back around to, we're always expecting or hoping somebody externally is going to validate us where it really does have to come from within. By the way, Liz, that's the eighth quality of confidence, which is self-sustaining. I like myself. I don't need to impress you. I see value. I see why I'm at the table. That is the quality most needed to fend off criticism. All right, let's jump ahead a little bit here because you go on to study biology and political science at Yale University and your first job, McKinsey & Company, as a consultant, and you're advising these leading luxury and beauty brands all over the world. That is where you got that first job review that came back suggesting you need to seek to have more gravitas. What were you thinking when you got that review? I spiraled. And most of us have received this type of feedback. And as women, I talk about setback spiral. Not only did I get this feedback, but oh my gosh, I'm going to lose my job. Or she thinks poorly of me. Or I'm a terrible sister. I'm a... So I definitely spiraled in hindsight. And I don't know where I got the courage. Although I, I think I do actually. I know where I got the courage to go back and say, well, how do I get that? Right? I mean, this is like the eager to please in me. If you've told me I don't have it, I need to go figure out how to get it. But most of us have received that at some point. We don't know how to process that. I don't know if you've ever received that feedback, Liz, but look, after 28 years in television, believe me, along the way, I had people tell me I wasn't good enough for something, right? <laughs> but you know what's interesting, too, is you did stick it out there for 11 years before realizing, man, I am totally burned out, and you end up quitting you take a year off to do what you called connect the dots. And I love that because it's a language that I use with a lot of clients. What were you searching for and what did you discover? You know, I don't think we often give ourselves the permission to dream. 
And that year off, I had a BlackBerry. I mean, I don't know about you. I miss my BlackBerry. That thing never died. <laughs> it didn't have a screen that cracked. It always had reception. But I went around the world for a year with my miles and points I'd accumulated as a consultant and just had a BlackBerry and a bunch of books. And I didn't force myself to do anything. Oftentimes, that's when you are most able to connect the dots, which I borrowed from Steve Jobs's commencement speech at Stanford. I don't think I ever thought about the accumulation of lived experiences until that point. I do believe our life stories are our leadership stories. Having a year off meant that I could think about all the ways in which I'd made a difference for others. I could answer the question finally of what do I love to do, not just what I'm good at. I'm good at being a consultant. I didn't love it. When I thought about what I was passionate about, there were things that I wanted to do for the world that I said, you know what, there's probably another route to do that. Which there ended up being, because in 2013, your business, Gravitas, was born. What is the work that you do at Gravitas? Our mission is to catalyze confidence. It is a fashion company, but now with this book and a lot of other things we're launching, it's also a content and a lifestyle company. But I really felt that we as women needed reminders to believe in ourselves. So if I go back to being told I didn't have gravitas, my boss told me to buy a new dress, look in the mirror and love myself. And she said, Dumbo did not eat a feather to fly, but it reminded him that he could. And so the real inspiration for the business I created was reminders for us to believe in ourselves. It started with a little black dress. We patented it with shapewear built in size zero to 26W. I used to be at 1820. So I was like, every size I was, I'd want to be able to buy something from us. And it started with fashion and the way in which people responded to that was incredible. And then led to a whole series of insights about how we as women, you know, I, I always say the dressing room is an analogy for your life. Think about when you go into a dressing room, most of us go in with self-loathing. We bring all the six forces that hold us back. We doubt ourselves. We hate the way we look. And I said, we're going to break that. We're going to break the way people think about getting dressed in a way that empowers them. And I know you don't allow mirrors in your dressing rooms. <laughs> so, I mean, as soon as you see yourself, it's systemic bias. I'm going to call it <laughs> systemic bias in that there's 20 messages on your way to the dressing room about how you're not good enough. So we try to eliminate all of that systemic bias in the dressing room. So important. Well, running business is never easy, and being in the fashion industry and all the work that you're continuing to do is not easy either. But you do have an incredible support system, your mom being one of them. And I know that you had some very pivotal, challenging times, which you share in the book, and I really encourage people to read it. But I love the one story about your mom and her support when she said, yes, you show up. You can't run away or hide. It does not solve problem. Everything can be solved. I love that. I really think our society celebrates entrepreneurship when you're successful. And what I hope to do in this book is celebrate entrepreneurship in that there's a journey. So I would say there's no light at the end of the tunnel, just skylights along the way that remind you of what you're doing. And that dark tunnel, as an entrepreneur, you're going to run out of money. You're going to disappoint people. You're going to make mistakes with customers. You know, there's just things that we don't talk about enough that you see someone's success story when they've sold their company, but you don't really appreciate the 20 years it took to get there. And the first time I couldn't pay a bill, I called my mom and she said, you'll not run away. You call that person, you say, I'm going to work on it. I'm going to come with payment plan because if you run away from it, then you haven't solved the problem. And 
I love that idea. Just showing up and saying, I'm still here. We've got to be in this together. That changes the way in which you take on a very hard journey. No entrepreneur is crushing it. Let me just disabuse you of that idea. <laughs> Doesn't matter how good it looks on social media. We are all dying slowly inside. There's something we haven't done that we were supposed to do. There's so much truth to that. And you said, you know, just a moment ago, you mentioned, you know, you're always going to disappoint someone. And sometimes along the journey, we even disappoint ourselves. And we have to give ourselves permission to say, it's okay. I'm going to figure this out. And you keep moving forward, just like your mom said. To learn more about Lisa, her work at Gravitas, and her brand new book, Gravitas, The Eight Strengths That Redefine Confidence, just go to her website, gravitasnewyork.com. Gravitasnewyork.com. We'll have that in our show notes for you as well. Lisa, one of the philosophies that you and I share is that confidence is a choice that we can make. And in some cases, we need to make it every single day. And we can do that with courage, compassion, and the right connections. Thank you for validating that message for everyone today and for joining me on the show. Thank you, Liz. This was wonderful. I'm so inspired by you. Thank you. And may all of you make that choice to be confident, to be brave enough to own your own strengths. Until next time, be well. This podcast is brought to you in part by Fast Twitch Media, helping people tell their stories and giving them worldwide reach. The future is in the cloud and fast twitch media can take you there. Be your best digital self. Check out fasttwitchmedia.space.